0: Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive, if it stays fair, home run! One strike away, Sandy into his windup, here's the pitch, swung out and missed The perfect game! Fly ball deep left center, him on the run, yes, 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 yes!
1: given
2: you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Left side, Swanson. To first. Braves, the world
0: champions. Braves and baseball talk, straight from the Diamond. Here's Grant McCauley.
1: And welcome in. This is From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9. The game, Grant McCauley with you on a Sunday afternoon. The Braves are wrapping up their business in Washington, D.C., And they're going to continue a road trip to open up this season. And yes, yes, yes. Baseball season has finally arrived. The Braves got a couple of wins under their belt. Some challenges on Sunday. We'll talk about as the show goes on. But winning series has been what the Braves are all about, especially in the regular season. Also, like to do that in the postseason as well. But you want to start out the business of uh, playing your baseball games on the winning foot. And the Braves certainly did that with an opening day victory. They followed up with it in game two of that series. And now they're in position to continue their road trip on to St. Louis. And Come on home and open things up on that home slate with a very tantalizing series ahead of us. I don't want to skip over the Cardinals. Again, we'll talk about that as the show goes on. But San Diego Padres, one of the biggest movers and shakers over the course of the winter. They're going to be the first team into Truist Park to take on the Atlanta Braves when the home schedule begins. That, of course, is later in the coming week. But lots to talk about when it comes to the series up in Washington. I mean, lots to talk about since a week ago. when the Braves were trying to wrap up their spring training slate we were still wondering about some roster decisions. We got a lot of clarity on that, and uh, we got a lot of question marks, I think, or at least one big question mark coming out of this series in D.C. for the Braves pitching staff and one that we did not want to have to deal with. As always, this is From the Diamond. You can find me here every Sunday on 92.9 The Game all season long. And make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find From the Diamond there. So if you like anything you've heard on the show or just want to go back through the archives, we get all kinds of good Braves and baseball talk for you. And I encourage you to do that. Make sure you're following along on social media as well. I am at Grant McCauley on Twitter and Instagram. You can also like the show on Facebook. Just search for From the Diamond. And if you want links to all this stuff and much more, fromthediamond.com is the place that you can find that. So let's talk about it. The week that has been thus far for the Atlanta Braves. Part of it was wrapping up their Grapefruit League schedule. They were able to do that. And then, of course, part of it is uh, the time the baseball fans wait all winter long for. I think there's that old quote, People ask me what I do all winter. Well, I stare out the window and wait for spring. And that, I think, feels like what a lot of us, uh, we're doing as far as us baseball folks are concerned. But we got to spring training. We got a good look at the Atlanta Braves, who appear to be a very well-constructed club. And if you're tuning into the show, you probably already know that. And if you've tuned into the show over any length of time, then we have gone over just about every possible angle that you could have on the opening day roster and the decisions that the Braves made regarding that opening day roster. Some of them a little bit surprising, maybe shortstop. Some of them were just great stories in terms of the fifth starter in the rotation and the battle for that and a couple of youngsters getting an opportunity. One of them making his major league debut on Sunday was Jared Schuster. It may not look great early on, but I think Jared Schuster kind of settled in and hopefully with this experience under his belt is going to be able to step up and give the Braves a little bit of help through the rotation the next time because we know the Braves are going to need all the help they can get in rotation because they don't want to bury the lead about the opening series and particularly opening day. Losing Max Freed was not part of the Braves' plan for any length of time, but that is apparently what they're looking at. Is their ace heading to the injured list? That has not been officially announced yet. Brian Snitker, though, has uh, talked with the reporters the last couple of days. They haven't decided when they're going to make that move procedurally speaking, but Freed is going to land on the injured list. So if you start doing the math, That's a couple of turns through rotation, and this is a rotation that already is without Kyle Wright. His opening day start, third career opening day start for Freed, and he's still yet to pick up a win in one of those. I'm sure he would have liked to have done it this time around, and it seemed like he was on his way to doing it as well. He looked very good into the fourth inning. Then there was a play, a ground ball to first. Freed sprinted off the mound, over to cover the bag, got the flip from Matt Olsen, recorded the out, and then he grabbed the back of his left leg a hamstring issue for Max Fried. The Braves let him throw a warm-up pitch, but they were not going to take any chances, and you have to know. I mean, A, you don't want to take too many chances with your ace to begin with. Secondly, in the first start of the year, you certainly don't want to take too many chances with any player under any circumstances if you're worried about an injury. After spending six weeks in Florida, I'm sure that the cooler weather that they were dealing with in D.C. might have been a little bit of a contributing factor, but, you know, who knows? The fact is that it happened, and it doesn't matter what the temperature was the Braves could be without Max Freed for at least a couple of weeks, and we're hoping it's not going to be any longer. But without you know getting into all of the fear-mongering that could go with losing your ace on opening day, because this is not one of the more serious injuries that we've seen, but nonetheless is going to cost him to miss time, let's hear from Max Freed, who discussed with the reporters up in D.C. after that start how he was feeling, what he feels like is next, and then we'll talk a little bit more about what the Braves may be looking to do to fill what is a very sizable void in their rotation. Here's Max Reed.
3: I felt it, you know, trying to go on the running over and covering first base and and at that point Georgia said that we didn't want to take any take any chances, especially, you know, with the weather being a little chillier today. But Right now, it's very much just see how I feel in the next coming days.
0: What did
4: it feel? Did like? it just bite at you or did it start to linger yeah, a
3: little it just Yeah, it just, just kind of grabbed at me. And yeah, it was nothing crazy. I don't think it's, you know, nothing bad. Or... To clarify what you said, um, did you feel it when you pivoted to get off the mound or when you were actually off the mound running? Uh, when I was off the mound running. As you threw th- th- that warm-up pitch, was there some hope there or did you kind of have a feeling? At this point, it's kind of just more... If I have the opportunity to see how it feels to just try the warm up pitch to see if it is, but if there was any discomfort or anything I was gonna shut it down, but I didn't want to come out of that game without at least trying.
4: You said that you hadn't talked about an IL stint, but what are the next steps or where will you go from here? Treatment tomorrow or like how do you Yeah, start treatment
3: this treatment, staying ahead of it and just trying to whatever those guys in the in the training room tell me to do I'm gonna I'm gonna be doing to try to get back out on the field.
1: Max, is it comparable at all to what you've had in the past with the hamstring or
3: anything like that or Uh, yeah. I mean, I've only, fortunately for me, I've only had minor hand strings, but yeah, it's, it's comparable. Uh, It's nothing, nothing different or more significant or anything like that.
1: Well, for Max Fried, I mean, it's not anything major and you heard from him. It didn't sound overly concerned about it, but as I said, you know, heading into that sound clip, which was courtesy of Valley Sports, by the way you aren't going to take any chances at this stage in the season with your ace starting pitcher, and that's certainly what Max Freed is. Now, the good thing about the Braves is that as you look at their depth chart, they have a very good starting rotation on paper, and I believe that they will have a very good starting rotation throughout the course of the season, but these injuries are going to pop up. As we talked about the fit starter battle throughout the course of spring training, one of the things that we kept saying, and I think it just bears repeating, the depth that the Braves have is going to be critical, to getting through the entire season because you know you're not going to make it through with just five starting pitchers. Nobody's able to do it. You just don't want to see an injury right there on the first day, and particularly to a guy like Max Fried, especially when you're already dealing, at least for the first couple of weeks, without one of your top four starters and Kyle Wright, who is coming along a little bit slower than expected thanks to a cortisone injection he got back in January. When you compound those two things, then clearly the Braves, who chose to go into the season with a couple of rookie pitchers who really impressed them in the spring. Now there's just a little bit more of a question about how do you get through this rotation time after time. Now, some good things that did happen in the Braves rotation before we kind of talk about maybe where they're going to go for some help with Max Fried is that Spencer Strider looked great in the second game of the season. Six innings for him, three hits, three walks, no runs allowed, and nine strikeouts. He struck out five of the first six. He struck out the side in his final inning as well. He looked like Spencer Strider. If you were watching the spring training and thinking, oh, Spencer's only throwing 96-97. Number one, only 96-97 must be nice because I haven't had that experience in my life. And I don't think I will. That's why I'm talking about it on the radio. But he got it up to 98-99 miles an hour and was carrying that velocity throughout the course of the start. So spring training sometimes can just be a little bit of you do as much as you need to do. You work on some other things. And then when it's time to really hit that next level, Spencer Strider still has that next level. We saw that in the win over the Nationals on Saturday. However, Spencer Strider looked great. Jared Schuster had what I would size up as. I won't just say it's nothing but nerves, because when you're dealing with a major league lineup, and I don't care if it's the Washington Nationals, the Oakland Athletics, Pittsburgh Pirates, Kansas City Royals, I mean, name off all the teams that you don't expect to win very many games, or it's the Houston Astros, New York Yankees, whoever it may be, your first time stepping on a major league mound is going to be, I think, a little bit daunting in one way, shape, or form. And for Jared Schuster, it was some uncharacteristic wildness in the first inning that I think really bit him. He wasn't getting hit hard all over the ballpark, but he did issue three walks, and a couple of those with the bases loaded, that's going to give some free runs away to a lineup that, let's be honest, is going to take all the free runs that they can get because it's going to be a long year up in D.C., but they use those four runs to build a nice, tidy lead over the Braves, and Atlanta's offense is not going to be able to come out there and score seven runs every single day. So that's something else that... Um, For Jared Schuster, you would have loved to have seen the Braves offense jump off to a fast start, give him a whole bunch of runs, maybe get out there and maybe it feels a little bit different. But all of these maybes won't really change the fact that he did struggle in that first inning. But I will point out that over the next three or four frames, he looked a lot better. He did get pulled with one out in the fifth inning, but he looked a lot better, a lot more comfortable and threw a lot more strikes, which is what we were accustomed to seeing over the course of the spring. So let's see what Jared Schuster is able to do that next time through the rotation, I guess, long story short. This next time through the rotation, though, to go back to Max Freed, is going to be different than the Braves had envisioned because the next three games are going to be against a club that's going to be a lot tougher than the Washington Nationals throughout the 2023 season, and that club is the St. Louis Cardinals. They've got the MVP Paul Goldschmidt. They've got another perennial MVP candidate in Nolan Arenado. They've got a lineup that can be relentless at times. It puts the ball in play, and they, I think, are the odds-on favorite to win the National League Central. Charlie Morton's going to get the ball in the first game of that three-game series. Then it's Dylan Dodd who's going to get his major league debut in the second contest in St. Louis. And then you come back to Max Freed's spot in that final game, and the Braves are going to have to dip down, I think, into AAA Gwinnett and make a decision on somebody that can help them out, and that will likely be Bryce Elder. So looking at this, with uh, Freed having been slated to throw in the finale against St. Louis and doing the math, his next start would be on April the 10th. Bryce Elder, who did start opening day on Friday night down in Gwinnett against Jacksonville, I think he's the guy that will fill in there because there don't seem to be any other options that really line up for that that would be able to do that job. The Braves' AAA squad threw Jackson Stevens in the second game. He wouldn't have been a candidate. Ian Anderson threw on Sunday, had a very rough start, so they didn't hold Ian Anderson back in order to bring him up. I think they want him to really get that work done in the minors, and we'll talk a lot more about Ian Anderson a little bit later on. And then you had Michael Soroka, who has not made his AAA debut. We're going to hear from him a little bit later. He'll be pitching on Tuesday for Gwinnett. And then Kyle Wright is not eligible to come off the injured list until April the 11th. So when you do all that, or look at all of that, and all of that math, it leaves Bryce Elder as the most likely man that's going to fill in uh, for Max Freed on that start. Now, Alex Antopoulos did indicate that both Jared Schuster and Dylan Dodd were going to get at least a couple of turns through the rotation in these first couple of weeks, and that makes a ton of sense, particularly with Wright and now Freed, both unavailable for the Braves. So they're going to lean a lot on some young pitchers, I guess is my point here. They leaned on Bryce Elder down the stretch last year and he threw incredibly well for them in a handful of games, particularly uh, against, I believe, Washington and Florida, and those may not be, again, the world-beater teams, but he threw some great starts, and maybe he'll be able to come up here and do that again and give you a little bit of depth out of the minor league system to help get you through what is a challenging first couple of weeks for the Braves with no Max Fried and no Kyle Wright as of yet. Now, as far as the other things that were going on up in Washington for the Braves in this opening series as they won the first couple of games, we saw the Atlanta offense get itself started in that first game, and it did so without the use of a home run to pile up seven runs and beat the Nationals by a 7-2 score. Then we got the game two on Saturday, and we had home runs aplenty, and that is what you expect out of the Atlanta Braves. Four long balls, two of those from Matt Olson. Now, we talked all spring long about Matt Olson as being one of the big storylines to look into, into this season and to expect bigger things from Matt Olson in a more general sense because I don't really feel like 2022 was a real indication of Matt Olson from start to finish what he can offer this Braves club. Now, Alex Antopoulos was on this very radio station a week or two ago on the Steakhouse, and he said that Matt Olson actually made a batting stance adjustment way back in September, and we saw it bear fruit immediately because he hit home runs in all three of those games against the New York Mets. The Braves swept that series. They ended up winning the National League East, and it looked like Matt Olson was really starting to find his swing again heading through the playoffs as well. Then we get into spring training, and Matt olson he had himself a spring. And I will gladly admit that spring training numbers are not the thing to hang your hat on. But when you're hitting well over 400, you hit the most home runs of anybody across baseball, and you're OPSing somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,500 while also taking your walks and just looking like you're completely locked in, that's what I'd like it to look like when everybody heads north. But everybody doesn't get to do it. However, Matt olson he certainly did. Now, he's going to strike out a little bit here and there. That's just part of Matt Olson's game. But by and large, multi-hit games in each of his first couple of contests, a multi-home run game, and let's talk about that for a moment on Saturday. Ronald Acuna Jr., 27th career leadoff home run, got the Braves started. Matt Olson, meanwhile, follows suit, and the Braves had back-to-back home runs to start that game. That is something that you would certainly love to see. Not going to happen too often. In fact, it not happened since 2018. But for Matt Olson, a multi-homer game right after that big spring, and a very good series overall, I think, for the Atlanta Braves, even if they did lose the finale of this series. Taking two out of three, you do that all the way through the season, you're going to be feeling pretty good. And again, the lineup's not going to be able to score seven every single night. But if they are rolling and doing things well, I think we're going to find Matt Olson in the middle of all of that. Meanwhile, Ronald Acuna Jr., who did hit that leadoff home run, his 27th career leadoff home run, as I mentioned. That's the kind of thing I'm expecting a lot of from Ronald this year. I've got the 40-40 tracker going on Twitter. If you haven't seen this thing yet, you can follow me, at Grant McCauley's, where you can find it. Didn't add anything to the tracker today, but in Game 1, Ronald stole his first base of the year in Game 2, as you just heard. Hit his first home run of the year, didn't have anything going on today, but he's still on a pretty good pace this year, and I think this 40-40 tracker is going to be an awful lot of fun to keep up with as the Braves will be looking to get big things from Ronald Acuna Jr., fully healthy. Ozzie Albies, fully healthy. Eddie Rosario, another guy that's fully healthy, we'll talk about as the show goes on. You know, Some of the guys that I think are going to make some big contributions this year that were kind of absent from the Braves last year are not making the same kind of impact for the Braves a year ago when Atlanta was an incredibly good offensive team. I think this is a club that could be a step up from last year's, which is saying an awful lot as they did set a franchise record for home runs and were one of the top-run scoring teams in all of baseball. So a lot of different things could be going right for the Braves offensively and it typically starts with Ronald Acuna Jr. and it looks like he's going to have some big time backup from Matt Olson in the number two spot at least to start the season. So that's a look at the first series of the year for the Braves. They took two out of three from the Washington Nationals. That's the way you want to start it by winning a series even though they did drop Sunday's finale by a 4-1 final score. When we come back we're going to take a look down on the farm. I had a chance to go up to Gwinnett and visit with several members of the AAA Gwinnett Stripers and many players that we might see over the course of the 2023 season you're going to hear from a couple of them coming up ian anderson joined me on wednesday that discussion is coming up next on from the diamond with grant mccauley on sports radio 92.9 the game
0: now more from the diamond with grant mccauley on sports radio 92.9 the game
1: Welcome back to From the Diamond right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley with you live from the Kia Studios as we continue discussing things going on for the Atlanta Braves, both at the big league level on Sunday as they were in action against Washington and at the minor league level where the Gwinnett Stripers continued their first series of the season as well. I was on hand for opening night on Friday. Got to see the Stripers walk things off. Braden Shumake with a three-run homer there. I was also on hand a little bit earlier in the week for media day. Now That's an opportunity for everybody to go up and, as you might imagine, Meet the press and meet the players, I guess, from our side is more appropriately what it was. And it was a lot of fun to see what I think is going to be an interesting group and a group that we're going to be keeping our eyes on all summer long. Now, why would we be so focused on the Triple A Gwinnett Stripers when opening day is here and we're all excited about Braves baseball finally being back? I think the very easy answer to that question is there are many names on that roster that the Braves are going to be counting on at some point in 2023. We're already seeing at the big league level, the rotation is going to be tested. There is no Kyle Wright. Max Freak will be heading for the injured list. How long will he be out? That's something that we don't know. Beyond that, how are you going to backfill that depth? Jared Schuster got knocked around a little bit by the Washington Nationals. We have not seen Dylan Dodd make that major league debut just yet either. And now you need to bring up somebody to take the place of Freed in your rotation, at least for a couple of weeks. That's how it looks. Kyle Wright's not going to be back for probably a week or 10 days at the very least as well. All of those things are just kind of compounding and piling up for the Braves, and it's happening right here at the start of the season. So to make a long story short, I thought it would be good to go up to Gwinnett and talk to some of the guys that are going to be on that short list, on that emergency call list, if you will, for the Braves when they run into trouble like this. And some of these names are very familiar. Let's take this next man, Ian Anderson. He exploded onto the scene in 2020 when the Braves rotation needed all the help it could get. Anderson had a very good run to close out the 2020 season in the month of September. He had an even better run through the postseason, where he has shown in both 2020 and 2021 that he could be a big part of the Braves' success when it matters most. But unlike his first two years in the big leagues, 2022 was a year of struggle for Ian Anderson. He lost his spot in rotation, he was demoted to AAA Gwinnett last year, He ended up injured, missed time, and then he came back to spring training this year trying to win back a spot in rotation and hoping that a new pitch, a slider, was going to be something that was going to help him out in that regard. His first outing in Gwinnett was not a good one. We'll talk about that one a little bit later, but I wanted you to hear my conversation with Ian Anderson, who may be starting his season in the minors but remains committed to recapturing the form that helped him be a big part of the Braves rotation and the winning they've done the past two years. Well, another season's upon us, and obviously for you, I think this is a bit of a different look. I know you came into spring training with a lot of hard work under your belt and with obviously some things you want to prove both to yourself and to the team. How do you assess what you saw the spring training, what they saw from you, and what you're hoping to accomplish here with Gwinnett?
5: Yeah, I still feel like, uh, you know, things went pretty well all in all. You know, I'm not ready to say that what I did in the offseason didn't work because I think it really has. Um, you know, the first game was obviously not how I wanted it to go, and that kind of set me on the wrong foot, but after that, looking back on it, it's probably one of the better spring trainings I've had. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the season, getting back in the games and, and just going to improve myself.
1: A lot of people will just look at numbers, and numbers will tell you one thing, but spring training is about so much more than numbers. So to yeah. hear you say this is one of the better spring trainings you've had, what are some of the aspects that people may not realize that's going on behind the scenes, aside from just every fifth day?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, adding the new pitch, I think seeing the results with that has been huge. Um, You know, obviously no one really sees the stats in the games that, you know, when I got sent down to pitch in the backfields and then, you know, yesterday I had a live here and it went well. So um, just preparedness for the season-wise, I feel like I'm in a good spot.
1: Now you and I talked about your slider a little bit before you had gotten a chance to get out there and really test yourself against some opposing lineups, some players wearing a different uniform. Yeah. Where does that slider come along, and what kind of things do you look to do to give it some maybe continuity? As you look to put it into your arsenal and then depend on it full time? Yeah, I think
5: uh, you know I've been working with Trump here a bit, uh, just kind of he's caught I think my last three outings. So just seeing how hitters react to it, honestly, um, you know, mostly righties trying to keep them from just kind of sitting and looking in, um, you know, kind of get them back out over the plate and then, uh, you know, I can use my other weapons to kind of put them away from there. That's something that I haven't seen in a while is kind of radies like going out towards the outer half. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and when I do, I feel like I have a good chance to get him when I see, see things like that. So, um, just stuff like that, seeing some swings, seeing some reactions, uh, it's been, been big.
1: Now, it's not just about you know throwing a new pitch into the mix. It's also about mechanical things and things that look to put you in the best possible yeah. position every single pitch. What mechanically have you worked on throughout the winter into the spring, and how is that coming along? And what's kind of the focus as you make your starts here?
5: Yeah, I think one of the things we we looked at um, was kind of just picking up the tempo of everything. Um, you know, in my mind, I think I felt like uh, the slower, the more controlled I would be, and that kind of ended up being the opposite. Um, you know, I'm better when I'm moving quick, when I'm moving down the mound better. So um, that's kind of been an emphasis the last probably two, three weeks, and uh, everything feels really good there. So uh, that was probably, I would say, probably been the biggest thing.
1: It's almost like the pitch clock could kind of low-key help you out with that. Yeah, definitely, definitely.
5: Uh, you know, it's not so much in between pitches. I've always felt like I had a, have had a decent cadence there. But, you know, when I get the ball and decide, like, okay, this is what I want to do, time to go, it's just kind of picking that pace up.
1: Pinpoint, command, control, whatever pitchers want to call it. What things have you looked to do that could help you maybe get the fastball back into the zone? And you want to have competitive pitches every time. Some yeah. are obviously designed, as you well know. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Yeah. To get hitters to expand their zone, but you want to be able to get ahead so that you're in control. Uh, what has kind of been the focus of maybe getting you back on that track?
5: Yeah, that's, you know, back to the tempo thing. I think getting that up, um, just letting me be aggressive in the zone, I think has been uh, has been pretty big. Um, so kind of just feeding off that, um, you know, trusting my stuff in the zone is, is a big thing. And, um, you know, I've seen good results from that the last two, three outings. So just try to carry that over into the season.
1: Our last couple for you, I want to ask you about some other pitchers that are good. both down here in Gwinnett and a couple that are getting an opportunity that you got not long ago to jump into a big league rotation. So let's kind of start with those guys. Jared mm-hmm. Schuster, Dylan Dodd. I mean, yeah, it's a competition for a spot or limited spots. That's kind of what baseball is. But how excited are you for them to have seen what they were able to do in the spring and then you know just i guess maybe looking back on your own experience how much is this going to mean to them to jump back in and get that opportunity
5: yeah it's going to be awesome really looking forward to it um you know those two guys were i think probably two of the better pitchers in the grapefruit league so uh, they definitely more than deserve it and that's the thing about playing for such a competitive team they're going to take the best guys at the, at the moment and that doesn't mean you're completely out of the fold but you're going to have to go out there and, and perform and you know, it gives you that hope that no matter where you're at, you have a chance if you if you perform. So, um, I know those two guys are up for it. They're 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 both very good. Pound the zone, good off speed stuff. So, um, you know, I know they're really looking forward to to having a chance to help the team win.
1: I know we're all looking forward to a good buddy of yours getting the opportunity to pitch on a big league mound again. We saw Michael Soroka make his great Fruit League debut not long ago. He's going to be down here in Gwinnett alongside you, kind of working in this rotation. I think, if I'm not mistaken, this may be one of the first times that you guys get to be teammates. (laughs) It was here in Gwinnett maybe late last last year. year A little bit, yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm really looking forward to watching him throw too. That
5: and also the, the day to day stuff, you know trying to make each other better day to day, you know, question each other with different things and, and just kind of push each other. So I think that'll be uh, be fun.
1: Yeah, I think I've known Michael since he was about 18 or 19 years old. So clearly yeah. he's not long in the tooth. People no. forget that even though it's been quite a yeah. while since he's been on a big league mound. But how excited are you as a friend, as a teammate, to see him be this close to taking that next step and finally getting back to the majors?
5: Yeah, super excited. He's been through a lot. You know, he's, he's worked hard. He's been through a lot. He's changed a lot of things. So, Um, You know, I know he feels like he's ready to get out here and compete and do really well. So, you know, it's never been more competitive than today. So, uh, you know, we're all looking forward to just kind of going out there and trying to perform. All right, Ian
1: Anderson, thank you so much. Good luck this season and look forward to talking to you soon. Yep, sounds good. Thank you. That's the voice of Ian Anderson, Atlanta Braves pitcher, now down in AAA Gwinnett, trying to figure some things out. I would not call Sunday one of those days where he figured out the things that he wanted to or did it fast enough to avoid what was a very rough outing in AAA. He allowed six runs. Four of those were earned. Three of those were off home runs. A couple of walks in there, and he did not escape the first inning. Anderson is working to get that slider as part of his mix. I think, like he said, that could help him against right-hand hitters, but the couple of things that have really stood out and really been problematic for him have been fastball command and his changeup, even as, an I think, a close to an 80-grade pitch, at least an elite pitch, Batters are not going to have to swing at it or expand their strike zone if you can't get ahead of them. I think there was always that mindset with a Tom Glavin or Greg Maddox or John Smoles. When you get ahead in the count, try to throw those strikes early. Then it sets up and creates all those possibilities for you to carve up a lineup or at the very least to make the competitive pitches and let batters get themselves out. I think that has been a little bit of an issue for Ian Anderson over the last couple of years. And I'm sure it's not intentional to keep falling behind batters, but he's made some mechanical adjustments over the course of the winter. He wants to get more consistency in that regard. I think the fastball velocity is fine. It's still in that 93 to 95 range when he needs it. He threw a little bit harder back in 2020, but it's not about throwing hard at this point with his fastball. It's about locating that pitch. Throwing his changeup for a strike some, I think, would also probably benefit him. But these are things that I'm sure he's already well aware of, and then going out and adding a pitch, the slider, to go along with a curveball that he can still use, a couple of different breaking ball offerings that has a hitter or a lineup second and third time through, having to think about more than just fastball, change up, and then get ahead in the count, and then just kind of feel like you can sit back, wait on the pitch you want, or you might could just wait Ian Anderson out and get that free base. That has kind of been the issue I've seen over the last year or so, and it's something that he's working very hard to correct in Triple A Gwinnett. Though Sunday's outing was not one that Ian Anderson is going to look back on fondly, maybe there will be some things he can glean after going back over the video, talking with the pitching coaches, and just try to find some kind of adjustment to make going forward. Sometimes it's an inch at a time. Sometimes maybe you unlock something and you take a big step forward. Ian Anderson will just be looking for any kind of progress that he can to get to feeling more like the pitcher that he was in 2020 and 2021, and of course in the postseason when he was so very good for the Atlanta Braves. Well, Ian Anderson is not the only name in the Gwinnett rotation that is drawing a lot of attention. As you heard, I was talking to Ian, a good friend of his, Michael Soroka, a pitcher that the Braves are very much looking forward to having back at some point, and it feels like that point could finally be getting closer and closer. Soroka has not pitched in a major league game since August the 3rd of 2020. That could change here in 2023. It feels like it's becoming more of a when than an if. And after the last couple of seasons, I think that Soroka, the Braves, Braves fans, pretty much everybody out there that's had a chance to watch this kid or get to know him a little bit is really pulling for, is seeing this comeback story make it to Truist Park or really any of the 30 Major League ballparks whenever Michael Soroka can get back on the mound. And We saw his spring training did not start out the way that he wanted it to. A hamstring injury right before he reported to camp I feel like you just can't make this stuff up and talking to Mike down in spring training and Mike or Michael, if you prefer you knew the frustration was there. You get over injuries the way that he has not a torn Achilles once, but twice you deal with a little bit of an arm issue last year after getting back on the mound in those minor league starts able to put that behind you feel good. Want to get to camp and can't make it in healthy. The hamstring really held him back for about a month or so. He was able to pitch in a Grapefruit League game in that final week. That was good to see. Mixed results. But it's not even about the results as much for Soroka as it is, is he healthy and is he making progress? And that's the things that he's down in Gwinnett to do, build up that pitch count and try to get himself back to the form that he needs to be in order to get hitters out and rejoin the Braves starting rotation. I thought the comments that Soroka made to the media up in Gwinnett on opening night were pretty interesting, though, He's kind of expanding his mind a little bit. I still view him as a starting pitcher. He still views him as a starting pitcher. I think the Braves still view him as a starting pitcher. But any which way you can get Michael Soroka back at this point could be considered a big step forward or, as we like to say, progress. Take a listen to what Michael Soroka had to say on Friday.
6: Yeah, I think we're just going to try some things. You know, I think we may as well. I don't don't know the specifics of it, but I know we'll probably stick it around three, four-inning outings for a little bit. I don't know if that means two three weeks I don't know if it means six or eight I, I don't know um, but I know the option is there so if it's needed I told them look I want to be in the big leagues and help whatever I can but uh, you know they all agreed that getting me to be the, the eighth man on the bullpen right now is not the best thing for development you know you could end up in a position where you don't pitch for eight nine days and you can't really work on things that day because you got to be hot that night so I think uh, like I said if it comes to a point where I can help up there and um it lines up i think you know they said they have no problem with that so we'll see where that goes and uh you know if it means coming in for long relief or it means closing a game i'm i'm all in
1: yeah and that's Braves pitcher michael soroka talking to the media up in Gwinnett on friday night i don't think that the Braves are really looking at moving him to a relief role full-time could they find a way to use him as a long reliever yeah possibly but is that really the best thing for him or is it getting built back up to being a six or seven inning pitcher and helping out this rotation, which, as we talked about, by the way, could use some help. A former All-Star, former opening day starter, former Rookie of the Year runner up, a guy that I think has a lot of tread on the tire when it comes to that arm. That could be exactly the kind of pitcher that could boost this Braves rotation if and when he's able to rejoin it. And as I said before, and I do believe it is becoming more of a win than an if for Michael Zoroka. When exactly it's going to happen, we'll find out, but it does feel like it's a little bit closer than it was, say, this time a year ago. So that's a look at a couple of pitchers the Braves are keeping their eye on down in Triple-A Gwinnett. When we come back, we're going to focus in on a couple of players that all Braves fans are keeping their eyes on. That, of course, is the shortstop-slash-second base combo for the Gwinnett Stripers. Vaughn Grissom, Braden Shoemake. You're going to hear from both of them next, right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
0: Baseball Talking Braves and beyond.
1: Baseball. With From the Diamond. Welcome back. This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley with you. From the Kia Studios. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game on a Sunday as the Braves wrapped up their first series of the year. They took two out of three in Washington. Couldn't get it done on Sunday. Unfortunately for Jared Schuster, his MLB debut, it started out a little bit rocky. He was able to right the ship, though. So I think there are some positives to take out of that. But those are the kind of things that we'll be discussing Uh, as the show goes on, and hopefully for Jared Schuster as the season goes on, because I think he showed a lot in spring training, just didn't show up on Sunday. Be that as it may, we're going to be discussing that a little bit later, but some of the guys that uh, certainly wanted to make this major league roster, but hey, you can only take 26 players north. There was a hotly contested battle at the shortstop position, and as we went through the entire winter, there was one name that just kept coming up and coming up, and for good reason, once Dansby Swanson signed with the Chicago Cubs. It became what I think a lot of us felt like was kind of a foregone conclusion that Vaughn Grissom's the frontrunner here. Now, I will put the caveat out there that even talking to Vaughn back in January at FanFest and talking to him at spring training, I don't think that he walked in and thought, hey, man, the job is mine and I, it's, it's mine to lose at any point. But I do think if you listen to all the commentary that came from the team about Vaughn, which was a lot of complimentary stuff, by the way, and I think that things that were genuine, mind you, you kind of felt like Vaughn Grissom was going to get the opportunity to show if he could sink or swim at shortstop as the first option this year. But as it turned out, it kind of moved in a different direction. The veteran Orlando Arcia, who has been part of the club for the last couple of years, came over in a trade in early 2021 and really showed off some significant swing changes with a power display at AAA Gwinnett that got him pushed onto the big league roster in 2021. And then he kind of backed it up with a very useful season last year with Ozzie Albies down for a while. Now, he got hurt, and Vaughn Grissom got an opportunity. And another man in this equation also was not in there because he was injured, and that was Braden Shoemake, who hurt his knee, which kind of opened the door for Vaughn Grissom to get the call-up from Double-A. So I say all that to kind of give you the background of all of these guys have kind of been interconnected for a while here, and the Braves had a choice to make in spring training, and only one guy is going to go out there and take that position. They weren't going to carry three shortstops. They weren't going to leave two young players on their bench. That just wasn't going to happen. But for Arcia, he really turned it on in the final couple of weeks of spring training, and really after being named the starting shortstop. Then he got himself a nice $7.3 million three-year extension from the Braves on opening day. So Alex Anthopoulos strikes again. This one, one that I don't think a lot of us saw coming. But regardless of whether RC is a starter or a backup, at about $2 million per year, $2.5 million per year, that's a quality Major League backup and a good piece to your 26-man roster. And right now, Orlando Arcee is getting the opportunity to outperform that contract if he's able to hold down that shortstop job and give the Braves close to what he did a season ago. But uh, with all of that aside, it was important, I think, to continue to keep an eye on the minor league side of it. And now where does Vaughn Grissom go from here? From a spring training in which a lot of the expectation was that he was going to be the opening day shortstop to being optioned out well before opening day. And the same with Braden Shoemake, who came in off really a lost season for him and was kind of the forgotten man in spring training, then went out and had a great spring and was also optioned down to AAA, where again, only one guy can play shortstop at a time. So they're going to be trading off in those middle infield spots. But I caught up with both Vaughn Grissom and Braden Shoemaker, and I want to start with Vaughn because I think he's the guy that people have the most focus on. He is going to get the opportunity to prove that he can be a shortstop, and it's going to start in AAA, and I think you should probably keep him in mind at some point this year. The Braves are probably going to come calling on this talented young 22-year-old. Here's my conversation with Vaughn Grissom from Gwinnett's Media Day. Here with Vaughn Grissom as we get ready to get the 2023 season started. I think that as far as spring training was concerned, you might have been the most talked-about guy in Braves camp, and I think for good reason. And the hard work that you put in over the course of the offseason, the trips to see Ron Washington and all of the different things, the path to the big leagues that you had last year, I mean, there were a lot of things that kind of make up the Vaughn Grissom story, and it's going to have different chapters. This one in Gwinnett, as you come down here and look to get the work started for this year, what is your mindset, what are you looking to do, or is it kind of more of the same and picking up where you left off last year?
6: Yeah, I'm just trying to – obviously, I'm trying to get better in every aspect of the game, and that will never stop. But, uh, yeah, just trying to just keep going, you know, just keep tumbling forward, if anything, just trying not to fall and lose a step or anything. But just trying to get back to the boys is I feel like it's the main thing. But uh, I've learned a lot, obviously, with them. Like you said, the last two years have been crazy. And just uh, experiencing the, the guys and just seeing how the big leaguers work and uh, – stuff like that. I'm really grateful for it and like working with WASH and everything. It's interesting, you know, how things panned out, but it's just what we have to do right now, so.
1: One of the things I think that's so fascinating about baseball is there are different paths for everybody to make it to the major leagues. I don't know if when you went to spring training last year, you were thinking, hey, I'm going to be in the big leagues making my debut, hitting a home run over the Green Monster, but that's the thing that happens. So as you do look at the experience that you got from last year, how much does that help you going into this year, not for just the motivation to get back, but just for your completeness as a player?
6: Well, yeah, every, you know, things happen quick, and uh, you never know when your name's going to be called, and uh, yeah, obviously last year, I didn't think that last year was going to be my year, but... The right things happened, or the wrong things happened or more so, but um I got my chance, and I got my opportunity, and uh, that's all you can do is try to make whatever of your opportunity that you get. so I was glad, but uh yeah, just gotta stay on your toes because obviously at any moment you know the call can be called back so.
1: Ron Washington is a name that comes up a lot when your name comes up. I know you guys did your work in the offseason. You get back to spring training. You obviously do all the work you do there in big league camp, and the work never really stops. Was there any conversation that you had with him as you headed off for this particular chapter? Just some words of advice, some wisdom, an attaboy, whatever it was that he might have shared with you.
6: Yeah, he just told me to keep going. He's uh, Last game I played in spring training, I had a decent game. So he's just like, dude, it's obviously there you know now you just got to go show him every single day what you can do because uh he really believes in me and he believes how i can pick up the ball so he believes that it's a decision thing for me so you just got to go make the right decisions and like i said take care of the assignment that's due so whatever we got on on call is what we got to take care of so so that's really all he said maybe in a little bit more words but uh what he was trying to get across is this is the job you got to do right now, so you got to go make the best of it.
1: You're with a guy, Braden shoemaker I know you guys are going to be playing up the middle here. What has your relationship been like because you've kind of gotten to know him? I know you guys probably have been teammates on every level of the minors all the way up, but now you're both kind of in a unique opportunity where you've been there. He's knocking on the door. It seems like it's kind of a, a symbiotic relationship.
6: He's uh, he's great. Like I told them earlier, he's from college. He's experienced just more than me. So um, to be able to bounce off my perspective off his and uh, – just talk and just learn from each other is, is great
1: is there anything in particular that you had in conversation with brian snitker alex Anthopoulos, that lets you know both where their mindset's at and making a decision to go with an experienced shortstop like orlando arcia who you played with last year and what they want you to be focused on here
6: they told me they just want me to play you know don't don't be thinking about the what ifs or what i could do because like again at the end of the day anything can happen and uh you know, just to be ready, you know, just to be the next man up, and be the next ready person because, um, like I said, anything can happen. So,
1: yeah. well, as we've seen, that's something that happened last year. Good luck with everything this year. Thank you for the time. It. Thank you so much. Yeah, always good to catch up with Vaughn Grissom. That was my conversation with him from Wednesday as Gwinnett was getting ready to get their season started. Vaughn looked pretty good on opening night. I was up there again on Friday, got on base a couple of times, and scored ahead of this next gentleman on a walk-off three-run homer. It was Braden Shoemaker. He struck out four times on opening night. That ain't what you want, but when you get a chance to come up and win the game for your team in the bottom of the ninth inning and hit a walk-off homer, that, that right there, that's what you want. Let's hear from Braden Shumake, who also had a great spring and is looking to get up to Atlanta at some point this year. Here with Braves infielder Braden Shumake as we get set for another baseball season, I think you're coming off a of spring training in which I would imagine, even if you come down to AAA, a place that you know pretty well from last year, that you have to feel pretty good about the place that you're in as a player right now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, spring training was this is definitely the best spring training that I've had yet. Um, a lot of positives to take out of it. And um, I, like I said, I'm really excited to get this season going and get moving forward. Um, a lot of big strides have been made offensively and I think and defensively as well. Just being able to work with Wash every day, it's hard not to get better defense every day. So, um, yeah, I feel like I'm in a great spot right now. I'm super excited to get going. Like I said, a um, group of guys in this locker room is phenomenal, and uh, it's going to be a whole lot of fun.
1: I think even when you were drafted, I was talking to Dana Brown on that day, and there was just this level of excitement about the kind of complete player that you could be, some versatility around the infield. I think we're starting to see that because you can play short, you can play second, you can do a lot of things. Offensively speaking, I think going from a, a player with a lot of collegiate success into the pros, what has kind of been the path for you over the past two, three, four years? Because, yeah, I mean, it's hard to find consistency sometimes, but what have you kind of learned about yourself as a player, as a hitter, that has maybe put you in what looks like such a good place coming out of spring training?
2: Yeah, um, there was a time um, where I was kind of trying to take in information from every hitting coach that I've ever run across and trying to implement that all at the same time, and it kind of became a jumbled mess. Yeah, it's tough, yeah. it's uh, yeah, it became a jumbled mess in my head. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and that's the first time that I'd really ever run into that issue, and I didn't really know how to get out of that. Um, so like I said, my f- f- 2021 season um, was in A. The first half of the season was abysmal, and then I got my dad came down and we tried to get back to what we were doing. And I did that well for a little while. And then um, the season came to an end. And it wasn't, obviously, the numbers that we wanted to put up. But the back half of the season was great because we got back to what we did well um, and that level of consistency. So that was really what our focus was this offseason, was just nail down that consistency and do what we do well and not try to be
1: somebody else. Coming into spring training, knowing that there is obviously a, an open spot in the infield, if we want to call it that, with the departure of Dansby Swanson, Vaughn Grissom, who's also going to be here in Gwinnett, a veteran like Orlando RC in place, Adrians is around. I mean, when you come into spring training, what is kind of your overall mindset, kind of knowing that that's obviously a possibility, but I would imagine that controlling the controllables is probably a big part of everything.
2: Yeah, like obviously, you know, there's a there's an opportunity to go win a job, but you, you also know who is... Um, who is also competing for that job. You know that there's a lot of other great players as well, so um, you have to do what you can do. You can't do you, you. can't sit here and watch somebody else get a hit and walk up to the plate and go, I have to get a hit or I'm not making the club, right? You have to be able to control what you can control and um, just be yourself. As soon as you try to be somebody else, you're not the best version of yourself anymore, right? So that's kind of the biggest thing. Um, Myself, Vaughn, and Orlando take ground balls every day together at shortstop, and we have a great relationship, all three of us. Um, So, like I said, it's fun to watch those guys play because of how great of players they are as well. But just to know, um, I think for all three of us, just to know that, well, we belong. Like, you belong, you've you've proven to yourself that you can do it, um, is the, the biggest first step.
1: I think that Von Grissom, Braden Shumay kind of intertwined in your path because I think last year, unfortunately, you suffered an injury at an inopportune – not that there's ever a good time for him, but a very inopportune time, and it ended your season. Then there's an opening in which Vaughn is able to go from double-A all the way to the major leagues. Now you find yourself here working together. You mentioned you guys have a good rapport, a good relationship. Uh, What is that conversation like between the two of you guys in terms of having both the big goal but obviously working side-by-side as a double play tandem this year?
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because we don't ever, uh, him and I really don't have conversations about who's going to go up to the big leagues or who's going to do this and that and the other. Uh, The conversations that we have when we're playing on a backfield game, whatever it is, is, hey, you and I need six hits today. You and I need six quality at-bats today. we got to go show them what we can do. And it's kind of like a tandem thing, like you said. We're kind of working together um, to win baseball games. We just want to win games here. We feel like we win games here and um, we play well down here, then everything else is going to take care of itself. We're really not too... Um, and obviously, everybody wants to get to that point. wants to get to the big leagues and wants to stick. Um, but that decision's not up to me. It's not up to him. So we got to do what we can. What we can do, and we got to be able to. Um, we got to be able to, to push each other and get each other to the point where, when it is that time to go to the big leagues, that there's no turning around and coming back. You're staying there, and you're there for good.
1: Positionally speaking, uh, you'll play some short. You'll also play some second. Same thing's true for Vaughn. Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you kind of expect out of the playing time? Or is it more or less just making the most of that opportunity day to day?
0: Yeah,
2: I I have no idea exactly what um, that's going to look like. I think there's going to be some weeks where he plays short four times and I play it twice. There will be maybe some weeks where I play it four times, he plays it twice. It's going to all depend um, on what, I not even Tui, it's going to depend on what they tell him they want to happen, which I don't care. Don't care either way. I just want to get on the field. want to play. want to help a team win. That's really the biggest thing to me. Um, Just like I said, just happy to have a job, one, obviously, and happy to be able to help a team win. That's uh, the two biggest things. My
1: Whatever the level is, the Atlanta Braves have known a lot about winning, and I'm sure you want to have that opportunity to get that call at some point this year. So good luck on all the things you need to do to get there, and hopefully we'll be chatting soon. uh, Maybe in this dugout, maybe in a different dugout, not too far away. Perfect. Thank you. All right, that's Braden Schumake, Braves infielder, who had a very good spring training for himself. He batted 323 OPS, well over 800 in 14 games played before being optioned out. He was in that shortstop battle with Vaughn Grissom, who we also just heard from there. My thanks to both of those guys for making some time for me this week. And, of course, Orlando Arcio was the man who won that job. So the Braves do have depth at this position. That's something that, as we've talked about and as we're seeing in some other areas for the Braves roster, is going to be tested. So uh, we'll see what both those guys are able to do as they make the most of their time in triple a Gwinnett when we come back though we'll take a look at what went down for the Braves on Sunday Jared Schuster's major league debut didn't go exactly the way he wanted to Braves are able to take two out of three from the Washington Nationals to open up the year but we will go through Sunday and get you ready for what's ahead in the next week for the Atlanta Braves as well that happens next right here on from the diamond with Grant McCauley on sports radio ninety two nine the game
0: Now back to more Grant McCauley and From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
1: This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game on a Sunday afternoon. Braves wrapped up their three-game series with the Washington Nationals with a loss on Sunday. It was Jared Schuster's Major League debut It was also McKenzie Gore's Nationals debut, you might recall. He was a very highly regarded prospect who was traded over to Washington in the Juan Soto trade last year, but he was on the injured list at that time. So this was his Nationals debut against Jared Schuster. So both pitchers had a little bit of something to prove out there. And for the Braves on this day, unfortunately, their lefty had a rocky first inning. And really, I think that it was the control as much as anything, which was a a very impressive aspect of Jared Schuster's spring, He went out there and was peppering the strike zone, going right after hitters, and being, I think, very aggressive in the zone. That did not happen as much in the first. Now, I talked about this earlier in the show. It's easy to say, hey, go out there and do this thing and be successful to a major league pitcher. Having not been one, but knowing a few, I can tell you it's not as easy to go out there and do it. In fact, it's incredibly hard. And... Not being able to get into the strike zone the way that he needed to proved costly for Jared Schuster in this game, but that means that you get to take the things that you didn't do as well in this game, the things that maybe you found in the, let's say, second through the fourth innings when he really settled in and tossed three scoreless frames at that point. But you take all those things that you learn, and you like to spin them forward into that next start, which Jared Schuster is going to be getting, and it looks like that that one should be against the San Diego Padres at home once the Braves come on back to Truist Park and have their home opener in their home opening series next weekend. Uh, looking at this game, though, the Braves were down four early in the first inning. It was the four runs that were allowed by Jared Schuster. Four and two-thirds innings for him, all four of those runs were earned. He walked five batters, two of those were with the bases loaded, and again, all of the damage for Washington was done in the very opening frame. They did not score again for the remainder of the game. Unfortunately, the Braves, though, only got a run on four hits as Mackenzie Gore was really locked in. He tossed five-and-a-third innings. He also walked four but just a three hits allowed in one run and half a dozen strikeouts for him to pick up his first win in a Nationals uniform. Jared Schuster taking the loss, obviously, in his big league debut, drops to 0-1. Michael Tonkin came in with two-and-a-third, very impressive scoreless innings of relief. And Jesse Chavez tossed a scoreless frame as well in the eighth inning to close things out for the Braves. Braves did not get any hits out of Ronald Acuna Jr. or Matt Olson on this day, and thus, no home runs, no back-to-back homers in back-to-back days. The only run knocked in by Travis Darnot, who had a very nice series against Washington to open things up this year. He was the DH once again in this game as Marcel Ozuna was out in left field and Sean Murphy was behind the plate for Jared Schuster in his big league debut. But the Braves just a run on four hits, nationals, four runs, six hits, and no errors in picking up the 4-1 win, avoiding a sweep, and grabbing their first win of the year. But the Braves, they did take two out of three. Let's hear from Braves skipper Brian Snitker, who had his thoughts on Jared Schuster's major league debut and where the Braves are heading into their second series of the year, which will be starting on Monday against the St. Louis Cardinals.
4: Well tell us what you thought of, of Schuster after that first inning and, and well
1: after the first inning, I mean,
0: it was great that he went into the fifth because, you know, he's probably a hitter away or from getting taken out in the first and then to not blow the bullpen up and kind of right himself and do that. I was very you know, I told him when he came out, I said you can breathe now. <laughs> yeah. um, but that was good. That was good to see how he you know, he came in and competed and you know, I'm sure what and how he had it drawn up when he made his debut. But to his credit, you know, he got us into the fifth, which was really big in the scheme of things. Did, you did, think, did, you, did he take positives from it, or did the game <laughs> just speed up on him in that well, first? She, yeah, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, probably a little bit. You know, I'm sure the nerves and everything. he kind of, as it looks to me, like a young man that keeps everything kind of in, and and um, you know, we hadn't seen him do that all spring. Which it's he's human, and, and but I just I love the way he he regrouped and and got us in the fifth inning, and um, you know Tonkin then came on and did a, another really good job um, to where you know we didn't just blow our bullpen up on this game, and 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 really they gave us a chance to come back in the game. We just couldn't get anything going from what you saw from Schuster. What was better after that first inning for him? I he just, well, it strikes. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I walked what three guys I think, and and. Um, you know, he kind of went, he got to you know, got to his fastball better, I think. Um, but uh, threw a couple good sliders, and and but I, you know, just kind of like you, you know, he got through the first, then he relaxed a little bit, and then probably I'm sure he just started zeroing in on the catcher, and, and Sean did a good job getting him through that.
3: What did their guy Gore do so well today?
0: <clears> through um, the ball, you know, he was kind of effectively wild, I would probably say. You know, he's got a good arm, really good arm. Um, and it just, you know, we hadn't seen a lot of him. And, like I say, he was probably, um, you know, his stuff, stuff's good. It's really good. He's, he's a good-looking young pitcher. When you're looking at young players, is it just important to see how they react to situations like this? Yeah, I mean, adversity's big in this game, as we know, and and it is. How he regrouped like that I thought was really good um, out of shoes. So, um, you know, I just see get that one behind him and, you and, um, kind of, you know, it's just, like I say, that's a big moment for a young guy, you know? It's like they dream about pitching in the big leagues, and all of a sudden, there you are. You know, and there's a lot to process there, and, and um, for any, you know, any young player, any player. So, I, I was just really proud of him, how he kind of regrouped, and and like I say, he didn't kill the bullpen.
3: Looking forward, what do you expect to face in St. Louis, and what do you think of <clears throat> those guys early in the year, the Cardinals?
0: That's... Cool. It's, Really, really strong lineup. Um, you know, that's a really good team, and and it's you know you look at that lineup and the the offensive the offensive power they have and 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 all it's it's really good. What about that throw that Murphy made there? Oh my God, yeah, about mm-hmm. that. Mm. Um, it's just yeah, that was something else. I thought the guy had a great job, and then just um, that's why he's you know that's why one of the reasons why we wanted to get him.
1: That was Braves manager Brian Snitker, audio courtesy of Bally Sports, on that one. And he finishes comments up in case you're wondering about that throw and how amazing it was. We saw the arm of Sean Murphy on display with a caught stealing, which had, according to StatCast, a pop time of 1.86. If you're curious about how good that is, he is one of the two best in baseball. He and J.T. Romuto fastest times to get off a throw to second base. He got off a quick one, gunned out a runner. Unfortunately, on a day like today, you're kind of searching for the little things that you can to kind of be highlights from it, but that's the game of baseball. you got to go day-to-day with it, and sometimes it's your day. Other times it's not. But if it's your day two out of three times in a series, like it was for the Braves in this one, far more positives than negatives. But going back to Jared Schuster, and we heard a lot of interesting things, I think, from Brian Snicker regarding how close Jared Schuster may have been to being out of that first inning before he ever recorded an out, and it happened as a single uh, a back-to-back singles, rather, walk, then another single, then back-to-back walks with the bases loaded. You're looking at it at that point. You've seen six hitters. You haven't retired anybody. You've walked three of them. This could blow up real quick. And so for Jared Schuster to get three quick outs at that point, limit the damage that had already been done. I mean, three runs were across before the first out was even recorded. And then to be able to go back out and pitch into the fifth inning, that might seem like, you know, eyewash to a lot of people. But you saved the bullpen and from having to make multiple moves and start using relievers that you don't want to use in a game that you're trailing. Because if you've noticed that Brian Snitker and all 30 major league managers manage the game differently when they're behind and when they're ahead and they have preferences of which guys are ready for which situations, and by the way, conversations have happened between those guys, the pitching coaches, Brian Snitker, everybody knows what their role is. You don't want to have to start pulling and throwing guys into days in which they might not have expected to be in that game. And, of course, you're trying to manage the load and manage the usage of these arms as well. That's something that you need to be thinking about throughout the course of the season. And that, of course, is why it's so big for a guy like Jared Schuster, who might have been, as Brian Snicker said, one batter away from being out of this game in the first inning without recording an out to being able to pitch into the fifth. That's one of the little things that could be a big thing that you could take forward into that next start if you are Jared Schuster. And there will be a next start. That is the plan for him to get back on the mound in five days and, hey, make some improvements. Take the experience here and move it forward into that next opportunity, and he's going to get a few more of those. Now, what can we expect from the Braves lineup? That's something that we were wondering heading into opening day, and the simple answer was a whole bunch of runs. We can expect that. But who and in what order, what roles are going to be handed out, and some of these position battles, once they were decided, and I say in particular for the offense, who was going to be the shortstop, you kind of knew that guy was going to be batting ninth. That was going to be his job. Play short, bat ninth. The Braves have a whole bunch of bats and a whole bunch of offensive superstars that are going to be stacked at the top part of that lineup. But Atlanta also has a lot of length to that lineup. And what I mean by that is there are not a lot of places that you can go hunting for outs if you're an opposing pitcher. You run into power from both sides of the plate. You run into really dynamic hitters of different types, whether it's Ronald Acuna Jr. setting the tone at the top, a hitter like Matt Olson batting second, and a guy like Austin Riley following that up. I mean, that is a powerful trio of sluggers that could all end up hitting better than 40 home runs this year. That's the capability that they have now you might wonder well and a lot of people have asked this you know ronald lacuna jr batting leadoff but he's not really a leadoff style hitter he could be more dynamic in the middle of the lineup but i think you're kind of missing the point is you want to get your best hitters the most plate appearances and when you turn the lineup over the guy at the top and the second spot and the third and so on and so forth they're the ones that get to hit the most so you want to get them to the plate the most times that's why ronald lacuna jr hits leadoff among other things also the speed the dynamic player that he is to set the tone for this lineup there are far more pros and cons. Now, then the question becomes, will Freddie Freeman hit second for quite a while the last few years of his career with the Braves? Is that why Matt Olson's batting second? If Matt Olson is hitting the way that he did in spring training and the way that he's capable of hitting, say, in 2021 in Oakland, I think he's a very good candidate to have batting second. And I'm not really worried about his sprint speed or any of those other numbers of things. I just want to get the guy to the plate with runners on base as many times as we can or to the plate as many times in general to get some maximum power and maximum opportunity and exposure from Matt Olsen. Then you've got Austin Riley. So that's one of those three guys I think bat at the top. And a lot of the nice things I said about Matt Olsen, well, same about Austin Riley too. You want to get him as many plate appearances as possible, and he could be a big run producer for this team. Those three guys are going to be the tone setters for the lineup and are going to be expected to get a lot of big hits. But clean cleanup, I'm kind of interested to see how the Albies, you Albies know, experience there will play out. I don't necessarily expect him to be the cleanup hitter all year. It was a little bit surprising to see him in there at cleanup. I thought maybe one of the catchers, either Sean Murphy or Travis Darno, whoever wasn't catching, would be the DH a good amount of the time, and that may still be the case. And that guy would be batting cleanup. Not the case. Marcelo Zuna's got a lot of experience at cleanup, but the last couple of years have not been a very good experience by and large for him. So he's going to bat a little bit lower in the order. But for Ozzy is an opportunity for him coming off of getting all of those injuries taken care of, and the fact that he is, you know, if you look at it, a 30-home run threat, a guy that can rack up extra bases, not a terrible idea to try him at cleanup, particularly against a guy like Patrick Corbin that he's really done well in an opening day, and then maybe just kind of leaving him there to see what can go on. If Ozzy's hitting it well from the left side, the right side splits always look good, and we'll see if he's maybe a guy that can give them some continuity there. And then you look at where Michael Harris is going to be, somewhere between 5th and 7th, it looks like, But I also think from a bigger picture perspective, maybe a longer term perspective, just based on the speed that he has, if Michael Harris continues to find ways to improve on what was already an impressive rookie season, it's going to be a pretty hard argument for me to keep him out of one of those top spots in the lineup because I do like stacking the speed, if you can, with Ronald Acuna Jr. and Michael Harris. You got one righty, one lefty. Maybe that's something that he kind of grows into, if you will, because keep in mind, Michael Harris is 22 years old. It's not like the kids have finished product yet. It's not like he's in the prime of his career just yet, but the excitement factor is certainly there, but he can also do some damage. We saw him flirt with a 2020 season with 20 homers and 20 steals in his first big league year. Why not up that power number a little bit here in year two? He certainly looked good looked bigger in the spring, which should be scary to opponents of the Braves and also should speak to the development that we can expect from Michael Harris's second as he goes into it gets into his career, into those prime years. That's what we're gonna be looking at. Anyway, that's a look at the Braves lineup and a look at what happened on Sunday. Atlanta unable to pick up the victory and they will be back in action against the St. Louis Cardinals to begin a three-game series on Monday. We'll talk more about that later. When we come back though, we're gonna take our trip around the big leagues. We'll be joined by my producer Dom to discuss some of the big stories and the noteworthy happenings of the first series across Major League Baseball. Comes your way next from From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back in to From the Diamond. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios. This is Sports Radio 92.9 The Game on a Sunday afternoon, taking you up to tip off of the Atlanta Hawks, we will be in action once we are wrapped up here talking about some baseball from opening weekend and for the Atlanta Braves, two out of three against the Washington Nationals. Next up is the St. Louis Cardinals on a six-game road trip leading up to the home opener, which happens on Thursday as the Braves and Padres will do battle at Truist Park. So that's the things you need to know for right now as far as the Braves are concerned. We're going to stick a pin in that for a minute, but we'll come back to it and preview that Cardinals series before we get out of here. But I want to welcome Dom back into the show here. As Dom, you've been a part of so many shows here and <laughs> been a part of this show all the way up until right now. But right. let's have a little fun <laughs> chat about a few stories that were going on across Major League Baseball that I thought were pretty fascinating. And one thing that we had kind of wondered about and we knew we were going to see, what's the pitch clock and all of the different rules that Major League Baseball has put in place? What are they going to do to the time of game? And as of opening day, game times were down an average of 26 minutes across all of baseball, which I guess you could say is exactly what they were looking for Mm -hmm. from this. Several of these games checked in around the 2 to 2 hours and 10 minutes mark that is shorter. Two hours and 10 or so minutes is shorter than the average NFL, NBA, or NHL game. So I guess a lot of people were just kind of wondering, is this going to eat into my fan experience? So you buy a ticket to a baseball game. You expect it to take around X amount of time. You're going to spend your time, your money, perhaps you know, bring the family, bring some friends out. And if the game's shorter, does that take away for you from a fan experience standpoint? No,
4: because I think this is exactly what MLB, like I said, this is what they've been wanting to do. And me as a fan, I've always been someone who kind of feels like, ah, eh, these games kind of drag along a little bit too long. So to hear that they're down almost half an hour, to me, I think... It's hard to ignore. Yeah, it's hard to ignore. Like, yeah. clearly it works.
1: Yeah, and that, I think, is what they really wanted from it, was to find ways to not just – you're not trying to turn the game into a hurry-up style of offense right. or defense right. or or pitching, really, but you're trying to, like, strike that balance. And I think mm-hmm. that that's what they're looking for. But uh, some folks have said – I saw this on Twitter. One thing that people were talking about is maybe the fan experience gets stiffed a little bit. If the games are 30 minutes shorter, then they don't get as much time watching their favorite ball club. And I, I guess I can understand that to a certain point. But I think what this does is it takes the focus off of – thinking about being there for the entirety of the three-hour game and maybe it's a little bit too long, so maybe I leave in the seventh inning. Mm -hmm. Maybe now you get fans to, what, stay for the entire game and get to see the whole thing in the two-and-a-half or so hours. I think that's part of what Major League Baseball is looking for.
4: That's what I was going to say is that I feel like that actually makes people a little bit more inclined to stay because I know a ton of times where I'm one of the rare people where, like, if I'm going to a baseball game, I'm staying no matter how long it is. Sure. But I know tons of people who be like, oh, yeah, we'll catch, like, the first six innings or seven innings, and then after that, you know, we'll probably leave. Now I feel like, oh, I can actually stay for the whole nine innings and plus if need be.
1: Not only can you actually stay for the whole nine innings and about the same time as you were staying for the first six or seven innings, but you might not even realize how quickly the game is moving. And I think it will become, as they say, and I hate to use this phrase, but perhaps the new normal as we Mm -hmm. start to recognize that. But do think about how many fans leave early to beat traffic. That's something that if they can catch that entire game now and we can't do anything about the traffic, maybe you all have to sit in the traffic because you (laughs) stayed for the (laughs) whole thing. But time spent at the ballpark from innings one through nine should see a positive effect from this. And in fact, Baseball America did a study last year because minor league baseball was utilizing some of these rules. And what they found was that it didn't really affect the concession sales because a lot of people thought that they would. With less yeah. game time, would it affect the concessions? But it's kind of just moving that time mm-hmm. around a little bit more and maybe just giving people the impetus to get there a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm.
4: I don't think it would have effect on concessions or anything like that because, I mean, again, maybe this is just me. If I'm going to a baseball game and I'm getting food and stuff like that, I'm typically doing that as soon as I get there.
1: A lot of people are. Right, yeah. like I'm
4: typically doing that within the first two innings before. Like I'm not waiting until inning six to be like, oh, I'm hungry now or, oh, I want a beer.
1: <laughs> every time I find that out, and less about the beer because I'm always there working, but every time I think, oh, well, you know what, I might just get something to eat in the sixth inning, I always regret that yeah. decision because I go out <laughs> and I look at those lines and I think, Why did I wait? (laughs) And so now I'm going to start eating. A lot of times I eat before the game, but that's somebody who's going there to work. If you're Mm -hmm. going there, you're listening out there, you're going, obviously, as a fan, you're going to enjoy yourself. But a different experience. Yeah, and radio and trying to find something to eat, you're (laughs) always trying to time that out as best you can, and we always find that out just about each and every day. Be that as it may. That's something we're going to find out as far as the time is concerned of these games. We're going to find out how much we like or dislike these changes as we go along. And I think there's going to be some tweaks to these rules eventually. Now, some of the other things that caught my eye from the first week of Major League Baseball, just some stories that came across my radar at some point. I don't think anybody missed what went on at Dodger Stadium on opening night, and that would be a proposal gone wrong. (laughs) There are a lot of people out there that are probably tired of seeing stadium proposals. I know that there are. But the season opened with the Dodgers went over the Diamondbacks, which doesn't make the headlines. Instead, it was one poor fan who made it such a memorable night. Ricardo Juarez jumped the fence in center field and got down on one knee to unveil the ring and to ask his girlfriend if she would spend the rest of her life with him and if she would agree to marry this man who was going to take it upon himself to jump out there and really make a (laughs) a public spectacle of this. And while I can understand the idea of wanting to make it memorable, and I've done it not long ago, It's something you want to do. Jumping onto a field at a pro sports event is usually met very poorly by security. And this poor guy, Ricardo Juarez, was tackled, handcuffed, and dragged off of the field. And while getting trucked by a security guard... I was kind of wondering, did he lose the ring? Because the box went flying. That was my first thought. <laughs> Seeing the video was like, oh, that ring's gone. <laughs> right. I mean, somebody's going to find it. I remember Ioannis Cespedes was running the bases, and mm-hmm. his diamond necklace broke around second. Yeah. And I think for the rest of the game, players were over there looking to see looking if they could see. You know, pick <laughs> up a few diamonds here <laughs> yeah. or there. Major League Baseball players, pro athletes, don't necessarily need it. But I wanted to know that this guy yeah. got the ring back at the very least. I also wanted to know... What exactly was the answer to this proposal since it got rudely interrupted by security? (laughs) Well, Juarez posted on Instagram that she did give him the answer and that that answer was yes. He posted that confirmation there. His fiance, Ramona Saavedra, she also posted a picture of the couple with the ring. They did find it. She said it was a bit extreme, but of course I said yes. So all's well that ends well.
4: you got to say yes after that. I basically kind of committed a crime. Right. To prove. Yeah, to to prove prove my my love love, for you. So you kind of have to say yes. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that she is probably going to encourage him to maybe not think quite as big with the next big thing that they do together. But either way, he was able to get the answer that he wanted, and this public display worked out for him.
4: If you're going to jump into the field of play, this is what you do it for.
1: Which, by the way, don't do it. I mean, (laughs) yeah, don't. Don't do it. But if you're going to. It worked out well in this case, but I would not encourage anybody because I've seen the way security (laughs) handles some of these people.
4: Security lives for those moments. They've paid very well for those
1: moments as well. Now, another incident that went on outside of security, as we talk about a few things from opening week, an incident involving a fan in Oakland, and a video surfaced of Anthony Rendon, the third baseman for the Los Angeles Angels, clutching a fan by the shirt as the two had a heated exchange, and apparently this fan had been hurling some pretty vile words and remarks. Mm At Rendon, And there's a tunnel area at the Coliseum where fans can get very close, and in this case, a little too close. Right. But that got the attention very quickly of some of Rendon's Angels teammates. They were separated pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. MLB's investigating it. Rendon's not commenting about it. But this is something you never want to see.
4: Yeah, and Rendon, in situations like this, I always want to side with the players because like, they're human beings too. And And that's what I think gets lost sometimes. Yes, like, yeah, okay, you paid, and that's cool, and you can go here. And listen, it's a part of the experience, especially if it's for the opposing team. Clearly, you said some things that probably took it a little too far.
1: And, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. If you say certain types of things to a player, I mean, these are human beings at the end Mm of the day. And I don't think that, you know, putting hands on anybody is going to be the best way to solve this kind of thing. but. I do think people have gotten too comfortable just saying whatever they Mm -hmm. want with no repercussions whatsoever. And that is probably what Anthony Rendon was thinking in those moments. Hey, you can get all over me about this type of play, that type of play, what you think of the team. You know, you're clearly a a fan of the other club. That's all in play. Mm -hmm. But there are certain things you say and certain names you call people that are going to elicit a bad response. And that certainly happened there. So we'll see where this investigation goes for Anthony Rendon. Another interesting story that I wanted to throw into the show today was the Yankees making a very interesting request to Major League Baseball this week based on a corner that they kind of painted themselves into. They asked MLB if they can stop issuing numbers to their coaching staff and manager, in this mm-hmm. case, Aaron Boone. You might be wondering why. Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because they've <laughs> retired too many numbers over the years. And if you're a fan of the New York Yankees of baseball, you probably already know that. But, uh-huh. Dom, I found this in The Athletic. The Yankees have retired a total of 22 numbers, and that began with Lou Gehrig's number four in 1939. The most recent number they retired was Derek Jeter's number two in 2017. But the Yankees, if you go watch them play, mm-hmm. there are no single-digit numbers available yeah. for the Yankees. They're all retired. If you mm-hmm. look at their Monument Garden out there, their Monument Grove, uh, all of those are. In fact, number eight was retired twice. Bill Dickey and Yogi <laughs> Berra got number eight. The Yankees' total of 22 is well ahead of the Cardinals, who had the second most. With 14 retired numbers, that Mm -hmm. is also a lot. Uh, But if you've noticed, a lot of managers now, you don't even see their jersey. Now, Brian Snitker is kind of an exception to this. I do think you see his jersey more times than not. But remember Joe Madden used to just wear that pullover? Yep. And in fact, at one point, I think there was a question from an opposing manager about, hey, the umpires need to go check Joe Madden because he's not (laughs) following uniform code because he doesn't Mm -hmm. have his jersey on. That I thought was pretty fascinating. But I guess... The Yankees could go this route, but it's pretty fascinating that they have to go this route.
4: You you might have to start unretiring some numbers, which is a sticky case, but (laughs) because then it's like, all right, well, who do we choose? And they're obviously going to take that as a slab in the face.
1: Yeah, if if they're still around, you know, which is the case for a good amount of Mm -hmm. these numbers that are retired. But for others, you know, if you started in 1939, start doing some math. I mean, I've always wondered and I've always found retired numbers to be curious because. Mm -hmm it's a great honor and the yes. thought of it and the intention of it in and of itself is a very good thing. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a lot of numbers get retired and then eventually nobody was thinking about it at the time, well, Hey, in a hundred years, right. <laughs> what's our uniform number situation going to look like? Are there not ways to honor players without retiring a number?
4: So one of the things that I like where you can kind of get around it is you have like legacy numbers. Like it happens a lot in like college football and stuff like that, where like a specific player is given number seven on a team. And like, that's kind of a legacy number. The Cowboys kind of do that right now with like Des Bryant wore 88, Michael Irvin wore 88, now CeeDee Lamb wears 88. I think that's a really cool way of doing that if you want to honor a player. Be like, hey, you're given this number because this number has some sort of significance or special meaning to yeah. us as an organization. I think that's something that the Yankees could probably adopt moving forward. But yeah, you're starting to run low on numbers.
1: Yeah, and it's, again, for the best of intentions, but some of them you look at not every player's number that you're going to retire is going to have had the career of a Lou Gehrig or a Babe Ruth. But be that as it may, I thought it was pretty interesting. A lot of retired numbers for a lot of different clubs for a lot of different reasons, but eventually... You might run out of numbers if you're a team like the New York Yankees, or at least the ones that you want to be using. When we come back, we will put a lid on this edition of From the Diamond. Take a look ahead at the week to come for the Atlanta Braves, who jet off to St. Louis off a series win in Washington. They'll be looking for another one against the Cardinals. We'll break all that down next on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 929 the game. Wrapping things up here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 929 the game. We're going to take a look at the week ahead for the Atlanta Braves, who opened their season with back-to-back wins. They didn't take two out of three from the Nationals, despite the loss on Sunday in Jared Schuster's Major League debut. But again, as I've talked about a little bit throughout the show, I think there were some positives to take out of that, even if that first inning is not in any way, shape, or form what Jared Schuster nor the Braves were hoping for. I think the lefty was able to settle in and give them some important innings to not blow up the bullpen before getting home after this next three games against the Cardinals and continuing, I believe it's 12 straight days worth of games after that off day, the odd off day and the day after opening day, as far as what we're looking for moving into this next week, it is going to be a series against the St. Louis Cardinals back-to-back road series for the Braves on a road trip to start the year. Not altogether surprising. If you follow the Braves, not opening at home very often and they only got to do it last year because of the lockout. So uh, once again, the Braves will find themselves being road warriors before they welcome the Padres to town. It'll be Charlie Morton on the mound in Game 1 uh, against the Cardinals on Monday, 7.45 p.m. Eastern time, first pitch. Same for Tuesday as far as timing of that first pitch, but we'll get our first look at Dylan Dodd on Tuesday, so that's going to be one of the many things to put on your watch list for the Braves this week, and then the Braves will have to figure out exactly how they are going to cover for the loss of Max Freed As he is heading to the injured list with that hamstring issue, he will not be available Wednesday to make his start against the St. Louis Cardinals. Probables on the Cardinals' side, Charlie Morton will be facing Jake Woodford in Game 1. Game 2 on Tuesday, we'll see a battle of lefties with Dylan Dodd against Steven Matz. And then in the finale, it's Miles Michaelis will be on the mound for St. Louis with a starter yet to be determined for the Braves. I still think that Bryce Elder is going to be the guy in that spot. I don't think Atlanta is going to go the bullpen game route, though they theoretically could. Once they place Max Freed on the injured list, they will have to make a move and bring somebody else on. Dodd still has to be added to the 40-man, so that's going to be a consideration for Atlanta in the midst of all of this. And then they would have to bring somebody up uh, for Max Freed, and they've got to figure out with Kyle Wright coming back in the not-too-distant future how all of that is going to gel together. But a lot of moving parts in the rotation was not really the expectation for the Braves, but it's just kind of where they find themselves with Wright being behind uh, not having the services of Michael Soroka just yet, hopefully by the end of April, maybe his name, one of the possibilities for the Braves. But we're going to have to find out when and if that will happen and how soon it could be. But who's stepping into rotation for Max Fried is a question that the Braves do not want to answer at any time in the 2023 season. It's just where they find themselves at the moment. Uh, as far as the Braves opponents in this upcoming series, the St. Louis Cardinals, they are always a tough team. I think you can pretty much expect for the Cardinals to be one of the best teams in the NL Central year after year. They've certainly proven that. Uh, They were taking on the Toronto Blue Jays to open up their season and grabbed a big win over the Blue Jays to take two out of three in that series on Sunday, exploding for nine runs, all of those in the very early going in that game as well. So you know that this St. Louis Cardinals offense is explosive when you feature the MVP, Paul Goldschmidt, when you have Nolan Arenado, when you've got a lot of other players that just put together good professional at-bats. They went out and got some more pop behind the plate with Wilson Contreras, the brother of William Contreras, who is now also in the National League Central, as you've got uh, both the Contreras brothers there, with William being part of the three-team trade that brought over Sean Murphy and ending up with the Milwaukee Brewers. But uh, the Cardinals are going to be a tough team, as they most certainly always are, and these pitching matchups just kind of let you know that uh, the Braves rotation is not exactly where they'd like it to be but not necessarily a tough or stout rotation for the Cardinals uh, here in the early going. They will miss Adam Wainwright, will the Braves. They won't have to see him. Jake Woodford last year was pitching mostly in relief, so getting the opportunity to pitch in rotation for the Cardinals. Steven Matz has really been slowed by injuries the last couple of years. Just has not been a big factor. I know that the Mets were trying to get him back after trading into the Blue Jays. That didn't work out. Matt signed with the Cardinals and really wasn't much of a factor for them last year. But it's the offense, I think, for St. Louis that even without, you know, the longtime stalwarts uh, and like Yadi Molina being behind the plate for him this year and the retirement of Albert Pujols last year, which turned into, in the second half, more than just a, a feel-good story. He actually started producing at a very high rate for them as he passed the 700 home run plateau on the way out of his big league career, one that's going to be sending him to Cooperstown. Those are a couple of names that maybe you were used to seeing with the Cardinals, so the Pujols reunion was uh, it took a long time coming. but with Molina gone, that's a bit of a different look for that club, but they find a way, year after year after year, to be among the best in baseball. That'll pretty much bring us to a close here on this edition of From the Diamond. We covered a lot of good stuff, and of course, I always invite you to find from the Diamond wherever you get your podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter. I am at Grant McCauley, same thing on Instagram. You can find the show. On Instagram as well, at From the Diamond is where you can find it. Uh, on Facebook, you can like the show there, and you can get links to everything as well over at FromTheDiamond.com. But that'll put a bow on this edition of From the Diamond. Again, make sure you check us out every Sunday here on 92.9 The Game. We'll be on in the afternoons, usually after the Braves are all done. We will wrap up the week for you there and get you looking ahead at what's to come for the Braves. Uh, Once again, my thanks to Dom for keeping this show going, and my thanks to you for making From the Diamond part of your baseball listening regimen here on a Sunday. We will catch you next week. So long, everyone.